Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Transpires here, but I do not, cannot, will not interfere. Journey to face the unknown and ponder the question. What if? Hello, and welcome to a very, I don't know, multiversal. <laughs> Uh, episode of Still Watching. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair uh, Hollywood correspondent Anthony Bresnikan. Wow, you! I'm finally like breaking you down where you can say your title without feeling any kind of awkwardness around it. I love it. <laughs> uh, we are here to talk to you about Marvel's animated series, What If. We got a lot of requests to mm. do this series. We're not doing the whole season, but... No. Uh, Bresnikan and I are here to talk about up through episode two mm-hmm. uh, and and sort of just our thoughts about how the series as a whole fits into what Marvel is wanting to do right now uh, in its storytelling. Uh, yeah. We just thought it would be fun to hop on hop on a call and and do one more Marvel, one more one more trip around the Marvel <laughs> <laughs> multiverse. We we can also do a little what if about what if too uh, because I have a nice little interview with. Uh, uh, head writer AC Bradley and uh, Brian Andrews, the director of the episodes, talking about all the storylines they they pitched or considered but didn't do. And I I thought that was I had a blast talking to them about that. So if you're up for that, Joanna, maybe at the end, and we could uh, hit some of those highlights. Oh my god, I loved that piece. I would love to do that. Also, I love when I'm reading a Wikipedia page and 
one of my friends' articles or whatever is sourced. Your your interview with them is sourced uh, in oh, a section cool. on the Wikipedia page. And I was like, oh, I already knew that because I read Forensic's <laughs> article. Anyway, uh, here we are to talk about what if. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are just joining us for the first time on Still Watching, what a wild time to join us. But uh, what we do on this show is each week, either Richard Lawson or Anthony Breskin joins me, or sometimes both, joins me to talk about a show that we're sort of watching obsessively. We're in a little in-between summer period right now. Usually we go episode by episode, but with schedules and summer TV being what it is, we're sort of doing some of these one-offs. So Richard and I just did an episode last week about White Lotus. Uh, This is our What If episode. And then next you hear from us will be Nine Perfect Strangers. And then we're going to get back into the regular swing of things, uh, starting with American Crime Story Impeachment a very Vanity Fair show. So, mm-hmm. um, so that is, that is a state of still watching right now. Uh, just a couple more weeks of summer programming and then the fall will kick off in earnest. So that is where we are. Um, excited to talk to you about this. And I think, I mean, a reason why we decided not to go week to week with what if, um, is it, I mean, I, I, I'm enjoying it, but I will say it doesn't feel quite the same as one of the live action Marvel Disney Plus shows, and that's not even a criticism. That's just sort of my vibe around it. What, what are you? How are you feeling around it, Anthony? Yeah, I feel it. It does it definitely doesn't feel like the typical show. I mean, it's it's animation, and uh, it, each episode is a one off. I think it's definitely priming people to understand to fully grasp what it means to have a multiverse. Now that that. Uh, <laughs> That that uh, has been unlocked with um, with uh, Loki, and uh, you know one of the things that uh, that uh, AC Bradley and Brian Andrews told me was that they were they were directed to to stay away from Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, Wanda, and Vision because they had their own mm-hmm. TV shows, and so you know this is picking up I think a lot of threads that uh, would never be pursued except maybe in a comic book. I mean the What If comic series is. is it's pretty legendary, uh, but but I'm I'm liking it. I like I like where it goes. I like the idea that this is a place to experiment and take some risks and still have it be by means of the multiverse part of the official storytelling. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself. When all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. I don't think you... I don't think What If is as enjoyable if you're not already up to speed on the MCU because the it's sort of like it's like uh you appreciate the flavors in a dish that are unique and a different way of cooking it 
when you've had it the same way or a similar way over and over again. It's like, <laughs> oh, is there cinnamon in this crust? Like, oh, okay, great. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, mm-hmm. that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, no, I, I, I both agree and disagree. I definitely agree that, um, especially with the first episode, which is, you know, was actually my least favorite of the three that I've seen, not because I don't love Captain Carter, because I do, and I'm thrilled to see her sort of uh, centered in in the narrative of all of this, right? They've already talked about how she's going to be in season two. Um, there are rumors that there might be a live action version version of Captain Carter sort of cameoing in Multiverse of Madness. You know what I mean? Like Captain Carter feels like a big thing that they want to sort of go all in on. But the first episode, and I think intentionally so, is kind of doing beat for beat captain america first avenger right it's doing the movie whereas the second episode i liked much more for my personal taste because it it's just doing a completely a heist like a different riff uh using these characters and i think that's a slow intro into what we're you know like let's hit them with something a storyline they're familiar with let's just do first avenger but swap some roles around and now we can sort of get a little loopier as we go um but but I want to say, um, so I agree with you that obviously things are enhanced. Your understanding of what if is enhanced if you understand the the stories that it's in conversation with. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, in episode two, Yondu becoming sort of a Robin Hood-esque figure because of T'Challa's influence versus, you know, um, what happens in the films, et cetera. However, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do also think that... Because it's not locked, locked, locked into the continuity of the other stories, I think there is a barrier of entry and intimidation factor for people who just want to start the MCU nowadays because it feels like there's so much homework they have to do to understand anything. And there is some freedom in these stories in that if you choose to, you could just take them at face value for what they are. Do you I guess I mean? so. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you definitely can wade into it and just sort of roll with it. I think you lose a lot if you're not up to speed. Like, and in the um, the Peggy Carter episode, I, Captain Carter episode, I completely agree. To me, is like almost like a template that they're laying down. Like, this is what we're gonna do. I enjoyed that episode quite a bit, and I I thought it was really well done. Uh, but you're right; it's not as it's it's not as free. It's not as uh, wild as uh, and surprising. As as the uh, what if T'Challa became Star Lord storyline, you know it's it, it's, but I think you have to acclimate your audience to what you're doing, and I think that was a good way of wading into it. And uh, you know what we know about the upcoming episodes that have yet to air, uh, they're going to get a little more far flung too, and a little a little more avant garde in their approach to remixing the um the the known <laughs> MCU. But I I I I just really adored this T'Challa episode. I love that Nebula calls him Cha-Cha. I think it shows like he's much more yeah. laid back and casual in this one. Uh, and, you know, the character of T'Challa was raised, I think, with a cer- certain formality as a prince. And then, you know, because he, his father knew that he would have to become a king someday. And so you can't be as laid back as maybe Shuri is because you're in line the throne in a way that she's not and um you know here he's raised by the ravagers and uh he's a much more casual dude and light-hearted i remember interviewing chadwick boseman when he was first playing uh, black panther in civil war and he said 
mm-hmm. he is not the one who cracks jokes. You know, Black Panther, you you like him, he's cool, he can be funny, but he's not the wisecracker. And I guess in this version of him, we get that ver- that the wisecracker, the guy who's willing to take a joke and roll with the joke and make a joke himself. But all of the other variety, too. The fact that Nebula has this flowing Veronica Lake hair, which actually serves a mm-hmm. plot purpose. I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, because she's bald and kind of fearsome, and this makes her a little bit more uh, femme fatale, I guess, of the classic film mm-hmm. noir variety. Uh, but then the fact that she's not she's not a cyborg in this, uh, but she pulls back the hair, and we see that little bit of cyborg activity around the eye that's familiar, um, and that that was placed there in some sort of past uh, hostile encounter with the collector. I, I really dug that. So the hair uh, not just served an aesthetic difference in where you feel like this is variety <laughs> and it's a callback to a certain kind of character from film noir and from film history, but it also serves a plot point. I thought so many of those things were well done. The way Thanos is, he, he, he you know, the line, uh, not angry, mad. And then he turns around and charges the, uh, um, uh, the collector's forces. Does that remind you of a moment from uh, Marvel Past? Uh, tell me what you're uh, thinking of. When um, Bruce Banner in the Avengers. Uh, when, oh, says, I'm, <laughs> that's my secret. Yeah, cap. <laughs> yeah, it's my secret. I'm always angry. Like, and yeah. then he turns or just yeah, turns yeah. around and charges them. Like, you know, yeah. mad, angry. You know, it's sort of like. Uh, but, the, but it was the same action beat. It was a great line, I, too. Yeah. Not, you know. Yeah, it was a great line. Not crazy. Mad. The Mad Titan. And, I, you know, I was glad that they dropped in that sort of Mad Titan reference earlier for folks mm-hmm. who might not know that that's what he's called. Just beautiful. Beautiful I, exposition in this. Really great. The way they check off gunned this episode. <laughs> like, everything you needed to know, you were, you were, you were given that information and, like, uh, it was set up beautifully. I also like the way that they worked in sort of the 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 emotional crux of the first Guardians, at least for Star Lord, um, the idea of chosen family, mm-hmm. and then this idea of betra- Yondu betrayal, um, all that sort of stuff is still worked in here as just different, you know, yeah. a, a different story of that. Um, I guess they wanted to have their ending where T'Challa does come back and and reunites with his family, but I thought it. Initially, when he said, oh, yeah, we went back and Wakanda was destroyed in a war, I thought the twist was going to be that because T'Challa was taken and he, uh, the king uh, uh, of Wakanda, T'Chaka, right? Um, mm-hmm. he, yeah. Uh, he, I, I assumed it was going to be that Wakanda was left vulnerable because T'Chaka had directed so much effort outside of mm. planet Earth to find his son that they were left vulnerable to colonization or attack uh and so that's sort of darker version of this i was expecting but of course uh no it just turned out to be a lie but uh i kind of thought that's where it was going (laughs) did you think that or the only one um i don't know i don't know if i had that thought but i i you know that would have been an interesting story i want what if that Mm. had happened um i want i want to zoom back to a couple things you said first of all about this idea of um how this show I always think that the metaphor it always comes up and it's more violent than what I really want is the is the uh the frog in the pot of water mm-hmm. and sort of slowly turning up the heat uh, to the boil thinking about the way in which Marvel when it all started with Iron Man what we what uh non diehard comics readers were 
acclimated to in terms of superhero storytelling, which was mostly, you know, like Superman and Batman and Spider-Man, et cetera, um, versus what slowly Marvel Studios, um, with a big assist, I think, in 2018 from Sony, what they have done to uh, get all of us uh, in a place where we can consume a comic book storytelling in this way. We talked about this a little bit with a TV series, mm-hmm. but I mean, like when, when I have, when I've talked to Kevin Feige about this before, about, um, I was asking him if he thought the MCU was patterned after television, you know, like each movie is an episode. And he's like, no, it's more like comic books. Like what comic book storytelling is always our guide it's just what the audience is ready for and so like you get the audience ready for weirdness with guardians of the galaxy and the slow roll they've done to get audiences ready for the concept of a multiverse again i think sony's into the spider-verse in 2018 played a huge Mm -hmm. part in helping uh get us to understand and by us i don't necessarily mean me but sure um like the collective us we yeah i guess get folks who aren't fully on yeah get folks who aren't fully on board to not be so intimidated by something that has been intimidating in comic books where the continuity right or runs that restart or all these sort of things and so just get get you on board with the idea of like oh Oh yeah, sure. There, you know, uh, in in this reality, T'Challa is this, or in this reality, Peggy Carter is this, and that's okay. And it doesn't disrupt our understanding of who Peggy Carter or or T'Challa were in these other stories we saw. And I think that's been, I mean, uh, Feige's Marvel under Feige and other people, not just Feige, um, has always been so good at the patient slow roll. Do you know what I mean? Like just really not getting ahead of themselves and just have faith in Marvel that they will get to where they need to go. You know what I mean? I just think that's really interesting. Yeah, I agree. You know, if I can uh, rewind the clock way, way, way back to 1989, as a kid, like 13 years old, watching Tim Burton's Batman, like right around the age where you start going to the movies by yourself rather than with like your parents or a grown up, you know, like go with your buddies go with your friends to watch a film. And so that year was a big movie-going year for me, a big memorable time in my life. And I remember seeing Tim Burton's Batman and being, like, really blown away that Jack Nicholson's Joker died at the end because I was used to the 60s TV series. I was used to comic books where the villain gets thwarted, maybe gets captured, but not only does he not die, but he usually gets away, right? Yeah, And so, like, whoa, like, they killed the Joker. They just introduced this to him, and they killed him. And, uh, you know, the Superman movies, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor, like, kept turning up again and again. So I was really shocked by that. And that was, that became a kind of template for superhero movies, is that you would have a hero versus a villain, and the colorful villain would die in the end, or be destroyed, uh, or be whatever, uh, uh, neutralized. <laughs> permanently in some way and the notion that uh that 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 there's a continuation here that these were not complete standalones like you might get a sequel but it's going to be a different villain it's going to be a different story uh i think marvel really changed that template which existed for then 20 years 
and said, okay, well, maybe, you know, instead of killing Justin Hammer, we're going to have him, he's going to be jailed, but he might turn up in a short film, he might turn up again. Uh, we're going to keep things going a little longer mm-hmm. and occasionally kill off the bad guy, but mostly, if especially... Put him on ice. Put, Zemo, put him on ice. Yeah, have him come back. Even Red Skull, you know, was yeah. in that early MCU, they were still doing that. Like, everybody thought Red Skull was dead, except for me, I thought... <laughs> He didn't really die. He just got, like, beamed out, <laughs> you know? I love this. You're like, these many years later, you're like, oh, right. for the record. For the record. I, I was right. Was I really didn't believe it. I was like, oh, no, Red Skull's coming back. Like, he's going to come back some way. Because he didn't die. He just got beamed out. And so um, I think they're doing that now. You know, they're changing the cadence of what we expect from storytelling and make going back to the comic book way of, no, but, uh, to borrow a line from the uh, the Star Wars universe, the uh, uh, no one's ever really gone. <laughs> yeah, in Marvel, no. One, well, okay, that that feeds into the next point I wanted to make, actually, which is not only is no one ever really gone in the way that, like, you know, Catherine Hahn can be uh, rescued from suburbia, where Ag- you know Agnes mm-hmm. was put at the end of WandaVision anytime they want to use Catherine Hahn again, but what if offers them something even bigger which is that characters who they did kill like um killmonger mm-hmm. uh can come you know and like i think about a lot of people talk about this killmonger dies at the end of black panther um it is a tremendously powerful moment mm-hmm. it's an incredible moment in the film and yet <laughs> a lot of us watching it are then bummed that we don't get any more of michael b jordan's mm-hmm. great performance in that character and then yeah. Marvel comes along and says, what if we do? And um, it's all under that umbrella of something that I talk about a lot um, that I would like to introduce as a branded concept mm-hmm. in this podcast, which is I've started capitalizing it. Uh, Feige can fix it. Feige can fix whatever, whatever, like whatever question marks, uh, whatever. Uh, I don't even want to say mistakes. But sort of like regrets, mm-hmm. maybe faint faint regrets or big regrets that they have. They, they um, can retcon it using what if. But it's not quite a ret- retcon, is it? So I- you know what I mean? It's another bite of the apple. And like the the same thing is true of Peggy Carter, right? There's a lot of stuff in Captain Carter. Well, I'm thinking of like Bradley Whitford's inclusion specifically. But like mm-hmm. there's stuff in, in the Captain Carter episode that feels a lot like Agent Carter, which by the way, wasn't a Marvel Studios quite exactly a Marvel Studios production, mm-hmm. right? Um, Agent Carter, they wanted they wanted to use Haley. They loved Haley's performance as Peggy. We all love Haley's performance as Peggy. A lot of people love that show, but I don't think you could call it an unqualified success. It was canceled kind of abruptly. You know what I mean? So they're like, well, what if instead <laughs> we give you a lot of Captain Carter? Therefore, we can still use Haley. We love her. And Feige can fix it. Feige can fix, you know, what happened with Agent Carter. I don't know. It's just something I'm thinking about. I, what do you, what do you I think? agree completely. I mean, the other thing, so they give us Killmonger back. They can give us Thanos again as a good guy. Uh, but they can also kill off characters who endure. Like, one of the neat, shocking things of this episode with T'Challa is that when the Collector opens up his weapons cabinet, uh, he's got Captain America's shield and Thor's hammer in there too. So something happened to those guys. He's got Hela's he- uh, uh, headdress and her mm-hmm. little death. What's he call it? The death sword. I forget the exact yeah. name of it. Uh, 
Uh, so like characters that lived are heroes. They can be destroyed. And it got me thinking in terms of the multiverse. So like Abomination is in Shang-Chi. Um, but it got me wondering about that incredible Hulk movie with Ed Norton. You know, they recast that part. They put Mark Ruffalo in it. Could Ed Norton's, uh, take on the um, character be a what if like could they say oh yeah you remember that movie from way back that was the multiverse man mark ruffalo is the canon uh the, the canon bruce banner could they do a what if that shows us here's what i will say bruce banner um, with with mark. there is some i without spoiling anything mm-hmm. I've seen a little bit more of what if than you have mm-hmm. and i will say there is a connection to that movie beyond what we've seen from Thunderbolt Ross. I don't think Marvel will ever work with Ed Norton again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That is one of the only publicly burned bridges in the history of Marvel Studios, mm-hmm. uh, is what happened with Ed Norton. Um, but uh, I do think that there are other opportunities there. And I think that's, you know, that's why they brought Thunderbolt Ross back mm-hmm. in to begin with. That's why Abomination is here. They're doing a She-Hulk show. Um, I... I there is something upcoming in what if that that plays with that for sure. Um, so mm-hmm. I, once again, just like I think it'll be fun for folks listening who are watching the show to look out for those like Feige can fix it moments. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And once again, I don't I don't want to attribute like there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work at Marvel. It's not just one man. I don't ascribe to the mm-hmm. auteur theory, but it is a mentality of this one man who happens to hold, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the main keys to the kingdom here. And, uh, this idea, you know, basically the mm-hmm. process and, and I don't remember if, um, AC talked to you specifically about this, but like that they came up, I think with like 30 pitches and Fe- Feige picked the 10 scenarios that he liked yes. best. So there definitely, you know, like there definitely is some taste making you know, going on by Feige here. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So, do we want to talk about the what if of what if? Uh, yeah. Hit me. <laughs> Are you ready hit for that or should if? we stick? Do we have any other No, no. Hit, hit me with a what if of what if. Um, so, yeah. My, I was really intrigued by what those other 20 ideas might have been. Yeah. Some of them are being utilized as uh, second season stories. So, they wouldn't get into that with me. And but the ones that I thought were the most intriguing were the ones that got nixed right away. One that never even made it into that sort of that final round of consideration. And um, you know, Brian Andrews said that his initial visual pitch. Now he was a storyboard artist or is a storyboard artist who's worked on a lot of Marvel projects. So he's been part of the Marvel family for a while. Mm-hmm. He did a kind of sizzle reel showing what what if could be. And one of the first images was, you know, he said he, you know, he knew he wanted to do like the, the Captain Carter thing, which is like a retro story set sort of at the dawn of the known MCU, uh, set in the forties, World War II era, Captain America era. They ended up doing Captain Carter, but he was like, initially it was going to be three heroes, uh, back to back fighting all the Nazis. It was Cap, as we know him with the super soldier serum. It was Peggy Carter, as we know her originally. Uh, not needing the super soldier serum to kick Nazi ass. And a third hero <laughs> who is the Rocketeer, which is not a Marvel character mm-hmm. at all. Now, this was pretty quickly rejected by Kevin Feige, who was like, yeah, cool, no. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, 
we watched The Rocketeer again last week, my kids and I and my wife. It's a great movie. And, like, it's directed by Joe Johnston. It really does feel like a Marvel movie in some ways because it feels so much like Captain America the First Avenger. And uh, and it's a great We movie. should say for folks who don't know that Joe Johnston also directed Captain America the First Avenger. Yes. If someone's yes. listening to this podcast yeah. and doesn't know that. Yeah. So the same person who directed The Rocketeer directed the first Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. And and it's one of those things where they basically they definitely hired Joe Johnston for that vibe. For for the Rocketeer vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. And like the idea that you and it's a Disney film and it's in the World War II era. Like the idea that mm-hmm. you could just bring somebody in from another universe, I think uh, probably there were legal complications there uh, even though it's Disney, Rocketeer was not a Marvel. It was an independent comic, so uh, uh you know, I'm sure that they can't just have it. <laughs> you can't just take it. <laughs> But um, uh, AZ Bradley said her idea was always pitch Star Wars. Like, when we get Luke Skywalker in there? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, which is an even bigger no. But uh, but I love that, that that's where their brains... They were thinking... I think you have to think that far outside the margins before you close off, you know, in order to get... Just to loosen yourself up. And, uh, you know, other ideas she had was she wanted to do a young Indiana Jones-style story with uh, with Tony Stark and howard stark his father and so that sounded really intriguing to me is what if tony actually got to know his dad it's because so much of his story is driven by not knowing who his father was or not really knowing what he was up to like what if he figured it out early what his dad was doing and they had a clash uh that would have been really fun to see she also wanted to do an odyssey story with uh uh you know, Homer's Odyssey, that is, uh, where Pepper and Tony end up gallivanting through space and encountering a lot of the heroes uh, from the galactic edge of the story, the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, uh, kind of a romancing the stone thing, if you think about that, like mm-hmm. that, that kind of vibe, the 1980s action romantic comedy thing. And uh, I would have liked to have seen that. I think that could have been fun. I'm always down for a little more Pepper Potts and Tony Stark storytelling because i think they are really good together and um yeah it would have been neat to see her in the rescue outfit blasting through space i mean the potential i mean we know that there's always already going to be a second season but the potential for where they can go forward i mean maybe not to luke skywalker maybe not to the rocketeer um though i would love to hear billy campbell again but like you know um is very vast <laughs> like and, and 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 getting ever vaster like something that i think is interesting is the directive they were given was to use only characters um that had already sort of debuted so uh not to do shang chi necessarily mm-hmm. or whatever um and not to do the Fantastic Four. Like if you're hold, like don't hold your breath for the Fantastic Four being introduced in in animated form. Uh, here, that's not what Marvel's doing. But they are riffing with with the toys they already have in their sandbox, um, which I think is really fun. Um, something, something you know, like I, I'm just been like daydreaming about sort of this like Feige can fix it attitude going forward. And like I think it's either Benedict Cumberbatch or or maybe just the what if creators had mentioned that that a Doctor Strange-centric episode was, like, a tragic love story. And we know that Rachel McAdams did a voice. And, like, Rachel McAdams and Doctor Strange has always felt like a huge wasted opportunity for me, for that actress. Like, completely wasted in that film. Uh, So, like, is this an opportunity to give us a version of that character that feels like it matters much more? Um, 
stuff like that. Jamon Honsu, fantastic in this episode yes. too here. You know what I mean? And like, you know, they've used Jamon Honsu in the MCU, but they haven't used Jamon Honsu in the, in the MCU the way that they did in this episode. So there's just like, there's all kind of opportunities. I, I loved him as the fanboy. I thought that was a great yeah. twist on that character. It was great. Um, I was wondering, do you have any thoughts on the voice cast aspect? So let's, you know, for folks who don't know, let's run through really quickly that, mm-hmm. like, there are a lot of people, uh, both major and uh, small roles, uh, reprising, you know, their live action performances. Yeah, Carrie Coon doing, like, two lines on this yeah, episode. Yeah, Guerrero. Major, major <laughs> actors doing, uh, major actors and major characters, but doing bit parts in right and so yeah there are no small roles or small Mm -hmm. actors um but like um but then you've got stuff like dave batista claiming that he was not asked to do drax uh for this episode and then marvel saying that must have been a miscommunication Mm. but i just i have some like at first i was working on a theory that they were only using actors that are going for the mcu and that's why Scarlett Johansson, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans were not voicing their characters. But Brie Larson was also not voicing uh, Carol Danvers. So I, I just think I, I have questions about who is and who is not uh, reprising their, their live action role. Do you know what I mean? Do you have any thoughts on that? Is this, is this a puzzle to you or do you not care? Whenever you hear, oh, must be a miscommunication, I think of that uh, moment from the... Uh... Ellen DeGeneres show. <laughs> oh, Dakota Johnson. Where Dakota Johnson. <laughs> like, you know, I wish I could have gotten an invite. Ellen, that's not true. Like, oh, <laughs> must be a miscommunication. Like, right, or a scheduling issue. Uh, you know but what also, I mean? you and I have been doing journalism long, long enough to know that sometimes, like, representatives don't take things to the talent, right? It's like, oh, I would have gladly done that. I just didn't Very know true. You were doing it. Very true. So maybe that's what they mean by miscommunication is the agent is like, no, baby, we can't do this unless we get like, you know, five figures for the two lines that we're going to read in the animated series. Um, you know, it's their jobs to be gatekeepers in some way, but uh, sometimes that probably gets in the way of uh, projects. And so maybe that's what was at, at play, you know? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any... Um... Thoughts about upco- like what we know already is going to be in the series upcoming and, and what, what else you're looking forward to? I guess I'm looking forward to... I like when things change genres. Like, I've always wanted to see the Star Wars version of a horror movie. Um, I've always wanted... To, I'm, I'm down for, like, the Star Wars version of a comedy. You know what I mean? And I like to see... What I always like about the Marvel universe is that they they tend to at least somewhat graft a different genre onto some of their um, their movies. You know, there, there was a lot of talk, like, that Captain America the Winter Soldier was, like, that was, like, a 1970s paranoid thriller. I think that's a little bit true. I think that's true... It's in, light. In the way that, like- that Lacroix La is... Uh, is uh, watermelon flavored? Like it's sort of like yeah. I okay, guess. first of all, as a lacryotic, uh, I have to say that how dare you? First of all, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, it's not really a lot of flavor. It's like it's like a whisper of a flavor. You know, like a little bit of seventies. Yeah, flavor. it's like the candy coating on on an M&M. You know, for sure, for sure. Well, it reminds me of um, 
you know, uh, Lucasfilm just put out the promo for their Star Wars anime that they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that to me is, is leaning or, or it, it makes me think about, um, how Rogue One was supposed to be sort of like a gritty war movie. And then it was just like too gritty and too war. And they're like, let's just make it a Star Wars movie. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like they sort of steered it back towards the thing that they know works. So, I mean, I, and I agree. And, uh, you know, Marvel gets credit for when it gets weird, which it does sometimes, but you always want it weirder. And, and we're hearing some fun, or I always want it a little weirder. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's like WandaVision felt like fun and weird. Um, and what I've heard about Multiverse of Madness, uh, what Sam Raimi is doing, you know, Elizabeth Olsen told me she's like, this is by far the scariest Marvel, you know, so the, the closest maybe we're going to get to a horror movie, um, is the upcoming Doctor Strange movie. And that's, that's interesting. And so I, I do, I, I think that the more, uh, people respond to these experimentations. I mean, something that I kind of regret, something that they didn't decide to do with this that I think would have been fun was do a different animation style for every episode. They were thinking about it Mm. and they decided not to do it. And I think it could have been really fun to, you know, that would have really helped sell the idea of different genres. You know what I mean? To to do the like sort of, like the animation style they chose Mm. for the whole thing I think works really well for Captain Carter, but for something like this, which is a little more noir, like wouldn't it have been fun to do some, like an animation style that's a little different. I think that could have been really fun. Yeah. What if, what if they had done that? <laughs> um, I was like, remember that short paper man? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which had exactly. Like kind of sketch feel to it, even though it was yeah. a lot of computer animation. Like I, I, I kind of would like to see that in a film noir. Approach, Completely. You know? Completely. The one of the upcoming episodes we know from the trailer again is um is a zombie episode <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with like the zombie Avengers. I'm really excited that's to see what that's the, all about. I love the yeah. idea of like a horror version of yeah Marvel yeah cinematic universe. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, like I'm having fun with it, but mm-hmm. again, it doesn't it doesn't feel like essential or urgent Marvel television uh, yet. Um, I know that they have like everything that happens in it is canon. They have said. And, you know, there might be, like, I think if Captain Carter shows up in live action version and, like, say, Multiverse of Madness, it would be but a cameo. You know what I mean? Like, just a sort of mm-hmm. glimpse of another universe or something like that would be my guess. Um, but it doesn't feel, like, quite as urgent as some of the live action shows. And that's okay. It does, it's not a knock on it. I'm just saying, like, I don't see it. It's not trending every week on Twitter the way that the other shows were. Um is sort of this the state of affairs with what if. And that's true of like all animated um even even stuff that's like very popular like the Lucasfilm animation that they did for years that is canon that connects to live action um is never quite doesn't never feel quite as real to the wider audience as a live action property. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Maybe it's an animation bias, I don't know, but it's interesting. All right. Anything else you want to say about what if? What if <laughs> you had more to say about it? I think that kind of covers it for me. I'm sad for Korg in this episode. He, <laughs> you know, uh, the uh, collector puts on this uh, rock fist and uh, reminds me of kind of like the the gauntlets that they sell to kids in the department stores as a toy. Like he puts on this rock fist and punches out T'Challa and then says uh, he got it from a 
what does he say? Like an extremely chatty. Uh, what was the what's the species that Korg is? Cronin. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's right. That's what Korg was, right? So poor Taika Waititi's uh, rock-based gladiator <laughs> at his end, and ended up becoming uh, a gauntlet. Uh, very sad for for Korg. Pour one out. And it's also <laughs> it's also a perfect. I mean, like. It's also a perfect venue for something like more Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a perfect spot for this. Uh it's a fun fun performance from Seth Green and it's just sort of like it it belongs in this world uh in a way that it only mostly belongs in the live action world, do you know? So uh and in this and and in this world the collector can be jacked. And the one thing we haven't mentioned that we should is like emotionally how it feels to hear Chadwick Boseman's voice again. Um, oh, yeah, very much so. For me, he sounds he, great, yeah, right? Yeah. He sounds healthy, and it's, it's very heartbreaking. It's, well, it's almost yeah. like you forget that he's gone, and then you get that title card at the end saying yeah. in memory of him, and it's like, oh, right, right. Well, there's also that scene with T'Chaka where he's like, uh, the hologram scene where he's like, you know, we will search for you everywhere in this realm or beyond. Do you know what I mean? That felt like a very meta. I don't know if it was added later or whatever, but like it felt like a very mm. meta. Like you're you're our brightest star. We will always be looking for you. Sort of thing. I, I teared up. Yeah, that uh, was very John Connie's so great. Uh, he is great. Yeah. yeah. So all right. Well, uh, on that, I'm, I'm like starting to tear up. So that's mm-hmm. probably probably means I should go. Um, so uh, if you have any what if thoughts, I'd still love to hear them. You can always email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Otherwise, we'll be back with. Um, Nine Perfect Strangers, the new Hulu show next week. Uh, Richard will be coming back for that. Uh, Anthony Bresnikin, where can folks find you if they if they want to? You can find me typing away at vanityfair.com. I'll go please check out my what if story and share it if you're so inclined. Uh, I was really proud of that piece and all the uh, alternate, uh, I guess you'd call them dead ends <laughs> that they tried <laughs> to pursue. But I love that. I love hearing like who... You know, stories from classic movies of who was considered for the part, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it, it, I, I, so if you want to hear an alternate take on what what if could have been, please uh, uh, search out that story. Excellent. Uh, you can find me also at VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Rothis, and I will see you all next week. And ponder the question. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.